Hey, welcome to TBT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel, and with me as always are Jake Pavorsky and Josh Brown. And on this edition, we're going to recap what you might have missed in the Super 16 in Atlanta this past weekend and preview what you're going to see this week with the semifinals and championship game taking place in Baltimore. Jake and Josh, it was an unbelievable weekend. Really some amazing results. Some teams advanced that I think surprised a lot of people and a lot of really great action basketball-wise and off the court uh, in Atlanta. But let's start with uh, Josh. Josh, how's it going up there? Dan, it's going great. Had a great week with you and Jake and everyone else down in Atlanta. A lot of good games. And now uh quick turnaround to Baltimore. Last week, we had a week in between the Super 16 and the championship. This week, only a couple or this year, only a couple of days. So it'll be interesting to see how the teams adjust. If they're ready to go, I'm sure they will be. But uh, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Jake, you had a good time in Atlanta, it sounded like, too. Absolutely. Georgia State was a fantastic host. We had a great crowd out there. And uh, like Josh said, a quick turnaround. And I think a lot of people on the staff as well as playing in the semifinals are a little bit sleep deprived, but nonetheless, after we, we wrap up this podcast, I'll be traveling to beautiful, sunny Willow Grove, Pennsylvania to pick up our, our championship trophy and, and secure that before the drive down to Baltimore tomorrow morning. That championship trophy is about 75 pounds, Jake. So you're going to take a hand truck with you or a friend? I'm going to carry that. I, I resent the fact that you don't think that I can carry that myself. <laughs> I know you can. You're even better on the second time through with that joke. So that's a good one, Jake. Congratulations on that one. Guys, we're going to recap the uh, Super 16 uh, briefly, and we're also going to preview more at length what's going to happen this week uh, in Baltimore for the semifinals and the championship. Let's start uh, chronologically. On Thursday night uh, on ESPN2, we had the South round of 16. The first game featured Ram Nation, the VCU alumni team, against uh, the Team DRC, Ram Nation, kind of ran away with that one a little bit uh, towards the end, 78-65. Uh, really a great game overall by VCU. They had great fan support and I uh, think did a great job. Josh, you were thinking that Ram, uh, Ram Nation just seemed to outgun uh, DRC on the inside a little bit in that game. Yeah, a little bit. You could see kind of the, the difference in height on that team, just a little bit more depth for Ram Nation. I thought in the in – the, um, uh, Briante Weber, in terms of their guard depth, brought a lot of energy to them. He did a good job on Dominique Jones and on uh, downtown Kenny Brown, kind of you know limiting them, keeping them at bay a little bit. So um, it, it just seemed like that chemistry, um, the pure height and strength advantage they had kind of made the difference. Uh, I really like that DRC team. I think they're a couple pieces away from potentially maybe being in the South Championship or even advancing to um, you know wherever the championship game is or the, you know, final four games are next year. I think maybe, you know, one or two big men away. So credit to DRC for a good run. But yeah, Ram Nation, big men, Briante Weber, and that chemistry just kind of made the difference in my opinion. So that Ram Nation victory led to a rematch of the last two years uh, for Ram Nation against Overseas Elite. But Overseas Elite didn't get there easily because they came down to what amounted to a very controversial call on game point for both teams. Uh, for those that were not watching, the game went down to 86-86 uh, at the Elam ending. The target score was 87. Jeremy Pargo drove the lane. Uh, controversially was called on a foul. Uh, some people agree with it. Some people didn't. Jake, you and I went back and forth quite a bit about the uh, validity of that call and the appropriateness of it. But ultimately, the foul was called. Pargo went to the line, missed the first free throw, and made the second. Uh, but Jake, your thoughts on the ending of that game in particular, which saw overseas elite advance 87-86. Well, I'll give props to Louisiana United first for you know coming back in that game where they had every chance to you know, just kind of fade away like so many teams have against overseas elite. And they were not ready to give up that fight. They were down, I believe it was seven points going into the Elam ending. Fought back a couple threes from Brian Allen. Uh, had no had no interest in leaving so soon in TBT. And, you know, for a second there, it seemed like they were actually going to pull out the upset. It, you know, Overseas Elite just kind of lost all momentum going into the Elam ending. And we won't debate the call too much because we've done it so much off the air. All I will say is that I could hear the smack standing courtside. I posted some screenshots of the videos on Twitter. Uh, they, they called the second foul on Akil Mitchell, but frankly, the reach-in uh, on, on Jeremy Pargo, I believe Bo McCaleb, also looked to be a foul as well. Uh, at the end of the day, I think it was the right call. Was it made at an appropriate time? Probably not if it was a second and a half earlier. I don't think we're talking about this nearly as much, but I think the big one of the big takeaways from what I've seen in, in that game is that, A, that overseas elite uh, looks to be I don't want to dire straits isn't the right word, but they seem to be, you know, the level of the difference between overseas elite and the other teams this year, even in the earlier rounds, doesn't seem to be as great. Teams have taken them to the brink uh, in a couple of games. And granted, they're overseas elite. They know what it takes to win these games and they get out of there no matter what. Um, but I think that these, you know, the road doesn't get much easier for them 
uh, going forward. Now they did handle Ram Nation uh, relatively well, but that's a team they beat, you know, three times in a row now. I think they know what the ingredients is there. Um, but the second thing is that I think there's a new Elam ending strategy that teams can implement this year and going forward. And it was 86 to 84. It was Louisiana United ball uh, down two points and three points away from the target score. Overseas elite, obviously not wanting them to shoot a three, decided the foul uh, to send Brian Allen to the line. Brian Allen makes the first free throw. It's now 86 to 85. And now when you're two points away from the target score, it kind of should change the way you try and score the ball. If you're down three and the other team is only one possession away uh, from hitting that target score, you're kind of being forced into throwing up a three there because if you miss uh, or if you get a two, there's a chance that overseas elite comes down the floor and they score there and the game is over. So once Brian Allen makes that free throw to put them within two points of the target score, making that second free throw doesn't really matter. What they should have done, and I think what GM Jeremy McNeil was trying to to tell his team, even though it got you know lost in translation and in the moment, was that to, you have to miss the second free throw because you need to give yourself a chance of getting that rebound, getting another possession that overseas elite would not have and potentially winning the game there. Hopefully that's something that teams are smart enough, if they're in that situation going forward, are smart enough to implement. Yeah, it was really interesting to see, and it would have been fascinating if they had attempted to miss that free throw because at that point, you stand roughly maybe a 45 55, 50, 50 chance of getting that rebound on the, ma- on the missed uh, free throw. And then if it works out, great. You score right away and you win. Uh, if you don't get the rebound, they're going to get possession of the ball anyway and come back down the court. So it would have been fascinating to see that work out. But either way, Overseas Elite advances with their narrowest win, I think, ever. A one-point victory, 87-86. They went on to play on Sunday against Ram Nation. We'll talk about that game in a few minutes. Um, but obviously, uh, game action continued the next night. We had the dunk contest, guys, which was kind of led off the uh, the Friday night on ESPN2. I thought it was really fantastic. I loved I loved the ending of that particularly, and the way that uh, the way that Marcus Lewis ended up dunking over Derek Cook uh, to win the forty thousand dollar prize from the Puma Hoops dunk contest. Uh, but Josh, your thoughts on the dunk contest overall, and specifically that that last posterized portion? Yeah, it was great. I know there's some talks moving forward about maybe even moving the dunk contest to just that one aspect because it was really kind of fascinating to watch. The crowd was into it. That are you know just reading the reaction on Twitter. It was something new and innovative. And uh, I was even talking to celebrity judge Terry Rosier a little bit before the game, and he was even fascinated to see that kind of aspect of the dunk contest. So I think everyone, um, you know, everyone loves a good posterization. We saw one on Sunday with Hakeem Work as well with the big dunk. Uh, he had so uh, I think it's everyone's kind of favorite type of dunk Um, Marcus Lewis just kind of I don't want to say cruised with it but I mean he just the the he's such a high level dunker that even his dunks in the early rounds I thought were really good he kind of led wire to wire Uh, obviously he was the former college uh, dunk contest champion in 2014 and really just a great dunker and um, you know his Illinois BC lost a couple days before so that that 40 grand kind of consolation I'm sure he'll take yeah, definitely. I think there was a premium just on made dunks. You know, like if you could get through that early part and then make it to the posterized portion, that was really the way to go. But in any event, Marcus Lewis, congratulations to him. He made off with the 40000 Derek Cook Jr., not a bad con- consolation prize for finishing second and getting dunked on in the championship round. Uh, he got his 10K. And by the way, he's still in the running because he played in the next game that night uh, against uh, Fort Wayne Champs. The two-seeded Team Fredette cruised 104-91. Game looked close at the beginning, Jake, and uh, Team Fredette ultimately kind of pulled away. And Team Fredette continued to do what Team Fredette does and the fact that they just score the ball you know, better than any team in, in TBT that we've seen this year. 104 points in that game, 99 in the game before that. I mean, they're playing at a very high level, and it starts with Jimmer Fredette, obviously, who's leading TBT in scoring with 33 points a game. What is so special about this team and what makes them so dynamic is that it's not just the Jimmer show. Like teams early on were trying to double-team him, and as guys around him were getting adjusted, I think that made things – uh, a little more difficult for Jimmer to try and, you know, go off and, and show what he, he can do, even though he did have 41 in that second game. But you mix in Jeff Ledbetter, who caught absolute fire in that Fort Wayne game. Rashad James, who had some takeover skill himself in that second unit and being able to run the offense uh, in his own light. And Jordan Crawford, too, an incredibly shifty point guard who it seems the ball always ends up in his hands at the end of the Elam ending and he gets to take the game winning shot. It's, it's there's, you know, Guard play has always been very important in TBT. You've seen that with overseas elite and Eric McCollum and Kyle Fogg. And, and uh, Team Fredette is showing you, you know, that they can sort of match that style of play and they can do it with four different guys at the guard position. Uh, an, an incredibly dynamic team. And I think they showcased 
everything they could do in that win over Fort Wayne champs, including their front court play as well with new addition, Jack Cooley, his first game in CBT, um, a little quieter for him, you know, eight and three, just getting acclimated. And I think it was 12 to 14 minutes in that game. Um, but a big body down low can play the glass. Uh, it was tough to move. We'll score around the rim. Uh, they seem to have all the pieces, Dan. Josh, your guys primetime went down in the second game that night on ESPN to Scarlet and gray, the Ohio state alumni team, 72, 60, uh, my condolences, obviously, on Primetime's departure. I know you're the number one fan. Uh, what were your thoughts, and why, why wasn't Primetime able to pull that one out against Ohio State? Yeah, you could just tell. I mean, even talking to Chris Thomas after, they were just overmatched down in the paint. You know, Greg Oden made his TBT debut, didn't play a ton, but when he was on the court, he was really an X factor for them. Um, you know, obviously played really well in, in, I'm trying to pull it up right here. He only played 16 minutes, but he had 11 points and five rebounds. Um, Leon Rogers played, you know, pretty well defensively that game. And they were just a little bit overmatched. I know primetime moving forward, um, is going to make a couple of adjustments with the, the, you know, um, who they actually stack up, um, you know, in their front court and just didn't exactly have the pieces they need to match Scarlet and Gray tick, uh, tick for tack. Um, and just their three point shooting, just, it wasn't falling. Terrell Smith, who was kind of lights out in the regional. He only went two for eight in that game. A lot of credit to, to guys like Aaron Kraft, who really kind of ran them off the line. John Diebler as well had a part in that as well. Mike Davis, who again was another lights out shooter, only uh, got off four three point shots in that game, made two of them. Chris Moore, one for four from three point land. So we always say with prime time, they live by the three they die by the three um they kind of died by the three in that game but they made a great run I know Chris Thomas GM is very happy with the run they made and kind of a building block for them moving forward they know the kind of additions that they need to make they obviously have very good guard depth but to kind of build around that and I'm sure they'll be kind of right back in this position next year definitely and Scarlett and Gray obviously moved on to play on Sunday we'll talk about their game against Team Fredette in a few minutes uh this moving on now to Saturday we had the first game featured the Golden Eagles of Marquette against Talladega Knights. Uh, again, this was a 3-15 matchup, and I think probably a 3-15 that I don't think anybody uh, could have seen coming, given Talladega's uh, having to play in a play-in game and then win two over the weekend in the Northeast Regional. But nevertheless, they played, and I have to say, I thought at various points in that game, it looked like Talladega was going to pull it out. They ended up going down 73-66, uh, largely on the back of uh, Jamil Wilson. He was absolutely unbelievable, and I think he had the only and maybe the only way to do it two-possession Elam ending in that game, having gotten fouled on a three and then draining a three on the other end. But, Jake, it looked like uh, Golden Eagles really played well in that game and then set themselves up great for the next day on Sunday. They kind of overpowered Talladega Knights. Talladega Knights is – they have – you know, their big men are 6'5 and 6'8. And while Jamil Wilson isn't a true five-man, he plays the five for the Golden Eagles in this tournament. You know, at 6'10, he's usually a four or a three at even some points. Uh, during the NBA season when he was with the Clippers last year. Uh, Coach Joe Chapman has kind of, you know, instituted him and utilized him in a way that, that's a little bit different as he preaches his his five-out system. And Jamil just continues to show that he should be in the NBA right now. You talk about how, what he did in Elam ending. Hits that, that three and one, uh, you know, to give him four points in that one possession. Comes down, has a block, trails the floor, uh, and hits the game-winning three to, to end it. I mean, he's he's a fantastic player, one who's, you know, Probably going to be first team all TBT when it's all said and done. Uh, Maurice Acker, who hasn't played a ton for these Golden Eagles teams in the previous two years, uh, is playing as big of a role as ever with that team. They're getting some help from Elgin Cook as well, a Milwaukee native who played his college ball at Oregon. He gives them kind of a, a tough wing who does some rebounding, uh, you know, can finish missed shots with tip ins and, and put back dunks and, uh, you know, gives them a nice added element on, on the wing. Talladega Knights, props to them. Lowest seeded team to ever make the Super 16. Did almost pull that out against the Golden Eagles. Uh, Ray Chang looked excellent in his Talladega Knights <laughs> uniform on the sidelines. Uh, you know, we hope to see them again next year. I imagine they, they've kind of figured out what, what the correct formula is uh, to at least get them to that Super 16 round. And now from here and out, it's just how do you improve that offense a little bit? How do you find some scoring outside of France Massonat and uh, Ramon Moore, as well as, as uh, Novar Gadsden? But props to them uh, for a heck of a run and Ray Chang as well. And they'll be back. We know that. The second game that day featured the number one seed, Bayheim's Army, against the number four seed, Armored Athlete. This would really, in my view, was one of the best games of the tournament so far. Bayheim's Army came out on top 73-69 at that uh, one o'clock game, which was on ESPN. Hakeem Warwick had a fantastic game, I thought. Ten rebounds total. 
uh, also played uh, very well on the offensive end and had that posterizing dunk that you mentioned a second ago. But really a great game overall for uh, Bayham's Army and a very tough one for Armored Athlete. It really looks to me, Josh, like the third quarter kind of did it. Armored Athlete, they were very close at half and then ultimately uh, went down. At one point, I want to say by 12 to 14 points. Uh, but what did you make of this game, Josh? Yeah, I actually thought even though Armored Athlete kept it close, they were kind of fighting it all game. It just they didn't have uh, their best game, whether it be the zone defense. And you give Syracuse a lot of credit. They played a pretty good defensive game. Um, The zone was pretty effective. And uh, Syracuse got production from the guys they need to. I mean, Devendorf had 19 on the game. Um, Okuaku had 18 and six rebounds. Demetrius Nichols had 11. Like you said, Akeem Warwick had that posterizing dunk. But I think the story of that game was Armored Athlete just kind of fighting it a little bit. I mean, Stefan uh, Moody was smooth in that game. He had 16 points total. But other than that, Campbell only had five for them. Um, you know, Thornton had 10. He was a player who I know a lot of people were looking to who as maybe one of the best players in TBT this year. He only had 10. Um, you know, Dzinski only had three. Like I said, Gamble only had five holes, uh, had 10 points, but didn't have a great shooting day. So, um, I don't know really if it was the zone or armored athlete, like I said, just fighting it a little bit, but it just seemed like the guys they needed to make plays down the stretch just, um, just kind of weren't, and it just wasn't their game and Syracuse able to escape with that one. Definitely the fans were happy to see that because there was a ton of orange in the crowd. Uh, So obviously Syracuse advances after that 73-69 victory to play on Sunday. Now, after that, guys, we saw the West matchups, and these were, again, a couple of great games. They featured some very good teams. Uh, Clearly, uh, what we saw is it might be a team of destiny, Everline Drive, um, ultimately winning against Gale Force. That was the second game that day. Everline Drive won 72-59 to and really didn't even seem that close. Uh, From the tip, it almost seemed – to me, Josh, that uh, Everline Drive had more athleticism, uh, longer longer players, even with them missing uh, Sloan, they still were able to control the ball uh, effectively in the backcourt. And really, to me, one of the revelations of the tournament has been Jerome Randall. Yeah, I mean, when you just said that score, I had to look again. I'm shocked that it was 72-59. I, th- I thought it was a 20, 30-point game because um, Everline Drive just dominated. Um, and I think you said at the end, the athleticism just kind of was a, the difference maker there. Gale Force, a very good shooting team, um, but they didn't quite have the, the the horses inside to kind of match up, like you said, with guys like, you know, Willie Reed. You have Jeremy Evans. um, you know, James Michael McAdoo played and had a good game, 12 and 10. So it just looked like, uh, you know, really the, the athleticism and that depth they had inside kind of de- did Gale Force. And with that being said, Gale Force, maybe an addition or two from being a real force in this tournament. We obviously know the shooting that they have. Um, but again, they need to get a little bit more athletic and a little bit bigger. And, um, you know, I was totally wrong about Everline. I thought they the lack of chemistry they had from a lot of the guys not ever playing together would kind of do them in. It was totally proven wrong. Jerome Randall's taken on a leadership role. I know he's kind of playing with a chip on his shoulder because a couple of teams that he originally wanted to play with maybe didn't take him in and let him play with their team. So he has kind of a chip on their shoulder. Um, Everline has a chip on their shoulder after the last, you know, the way the last four years have, have gone. And, uh, yeah, I was totally wrong about them. They were, have been able to kind of develop a good chemistry really quickly. And you credit David Nurse and Matt Mitchell and Hirschman for kind of uh, creating that culture, which has kind of conduced the success that they've had. Absolutely. Challenge ALS, uh, Jake, then played uh, your guys from Sons of Westwood, the UCLA alumni team. Uh, that was an 86-80 victory for Challenge ALS. This game was a lot closer, I think, than a lot of observers would have thought. But it really turned out that the additions I thought that uh, UCLA uh, made were were really productive. Yeah, UCLA, you know, I think we all kind of thought at the beginning of that, that ALS would not necessarily cruise to victory, but, you know, they would kind of lead that game and, and take control of it pretty early on and, you know, carry that throughout the game. And that wasn't the case. It seemed like Sons of Westwood really took it to the defending West Regional Champions. What we saw out in L.A. from the Sons of Westwood, they looked like a first-year alumni team that was kind of just getting their feet wet and, and sort of figuring each other out. And despite the two-week layoff, and frankly, a lot of those guys not really being able to to practice with each other. They looked like a completely different unit in Atlanta. They pushed the pace. They shot threes well. They banged inside, uh, you know, and they really took the physicality aspect as well as, you know, the shooting and the, and the passing aspect that you usually see from ALS. And, and they kind of instituted that in their games and really, you know, brought it down to the wire. But at the end of the day, I think we saw, you know, some of the best basketball Marvell Harris is ever going to play in, in his entire life. 8 of 11 from the field, 14 of 19 from the free throw line, finished with 32 points. Uh, really pushed that team over the top, uh, you know, in the Elam ending time. 
especially when you're not getting your best basketball from Jordan Hamilton. Uh, EJ Rowland only took one free uh, field goal attempt all game. Jeff Ayers was still kind of getting in the flow of the game. Uh, Marvell was the guy that really pushed that team. And, uh, you know, 32 points, eight rebounds as well, four steals. The guy kind of did it all for them. He's, he's turned into one of my favorite players in TBT, a hard-nosed, tough guard who's willing to lay out for loose balls, uh, defend, rebound, attack the rim, and draw those fouls. Uh, ALS showed that they have a lot of different guys that can kind of take over games at certain times, whether it is Sean Marshall, Jordan Hamilton in that first weekend in L.A. And in this game, in this case, it was Marvell Harris who uh, pushed them over the top against a top-notch Sons of Westwood team that I'm sure will be back in 2018, or excuse me, 2019, and they'll be reloaded with a couple more UCLA guys as well. So in round two, I'm sorry, in round four, actually, we then saw the matchup between Everline Drive and Team Challenge ALS. Uh, This game, I think most observers would have thought, especially since they were missing Donald Sloan, and somehow James Michael McAdoo uh, did not play on Sunday. Uh, Everline Drive playing with a short bench, and I think going into the game, most would have said, this looks like a victory for Challenge ALS. Everline Drive just really had it going, and I think specifically Jerome Randall uh, carrying that squad, 12 of 15 from the free throw line, 8 of 17 from the field and he threw in three assists as well. But this team really came together in a way that we very rarely see in TBT. Um, It seems like every issue that they may have had got sorted out. Everything was going their way. Uh, It really was an amazing thing to see, uh, Josh. And when you saw this Everline Drive team up big late, uh, it looked like there was just no stopping them at that point. Yeah, it was whenever Challenge made a run, Eberline would have an answer. They'd get to the free throw line. I thought they did a great job of just attacking ALS inside, getting to the free throw line. You mentioned Jerome Randall. Um, uh, what, what was it? He went 12 from 15 from the free throw line. Lua Munson had a couple late free throws. Eldridge played well. Um, they, again, they were just, they stopped any run that ALS made. And another game where, you know, Eberline used that size and athleticism to their advantage. I mean, they were a more athletic team than Team Challenge ALS. And, um, you know, Jerome Randall won the all important point guard battle between him and Casper, where Casper played very well. Don't get me wrong, he poured in 22, but Jerome Randall was a little bit better. And I think that. That made the difference. Um, so, like we said, in, you know, when we were talking about their last game, you don't see many teams come together, like you said, Dan, the way that they have developed a chemistry so quickly. A couple of their guys playing with a chip on their shoulder. I know, like I said, Jerome Randall, especially in this game, was playing with a chip on his shoulder because of maybe some trash talk or other things going on between the two teams. So, um, you know, credit to Everline Drive. Um, and obviously, too, just a huge credit to Sean Marshall and Challenge ALS since their run is done. I mean, what they did over the last year was incredible. Making the championship game, coming back this year, doing that um, initiative where they put the different names on the back of their jersey, the money they've raised for ALS awareness, uh, and everything they've done is always um, very inspiring to watch. So I know Sean Marshall tweeted he'll continue coming back until we don't let him back. And I know we're going to let him back for years and years to come. So uh Credit to Sean Marshall and Challenge ALS and um, even more credit to Everline Drive for the way they were able to come together and get that win. Absolutely. And obviously, it's going to be a great matchup between Everline Drive and Team Fredette when they meet up on Thursday. But uh, Jake, it was really apparent to me that there were really no answers for Jeremy Evans and Willie Reed, obviously two NBA caliber guys, both in terms of their skill set as well as just in terms of their size. I mean, they seem to be unstoppable on the defensive boards particularly. And these were two guys that were in the NBA last year. Jeremy Evans signed a 10-day with the Atlanta Hawks at the end of last season. Willie Reed spent most of the season with the L.A. Clippers before being traded to the Detroit Pistons. I mean, these are NBA-caliber guys. And it's interesting, and I I talked about this at length with with David Nurse and Matt Mitchell uh, from Everline Drive, is that most TBT teams seem to be based more so around guard play. This team is more so about frontcourt depth than anything else between Willie Reed, uh, Jeremy Evans, James Michael McAdoo. You have Lou Amundsen. Uh, you know, those are four high caliber guys that have all played in the NBA. James Michael McAdoo won two NBA championships with the Golden State Warriors. And the, the rim protection for this team has been absolutely unbelievable, as well as the rebounding. I believe midway through the second or the third quarter of that game against Team Challenge ALS, the, the block differential was eight to one. I mean, that's huge when, when you're talking about games that are decided by 10 or less points, you know, going forward, especially as these games get tighter and the competition gets better. You need some some top line rim protectors to really make teams think twice about attacking the lane. And Everline Drive has done that on top of having really top guards in in Jerome Randall and Donald Sloan, who I'm told will be back for the games in Baltimore after working out for the New Orleans Pelicans uh, this past weekend. It seems like they've kind of figured out a sort of a new formula for winning TBT that kind of goes against the grain. But, I mean, they have all the pieces to get the job done. 
The Midwest uh, Regional Championship featured Team Fredette against Scarlet and Gray. Team Fredette won a 100 to 78. It really looked like they just had it in the bag from the whole the whole game. You know, I mean, obviously Jimmer Fredette was fantastic, 28 points. It seemed like a quiet 28 points, but they had five guys in double figures. Uh, they had uh, Rashad James gave him 16, Jordan Crawford 13, Cooley gave him 16 this game. Brandon Davies, I thought, looked to me like the best overall big man I saw this past weekend. Uh, but Josh, your thoughts on this team for debt, Scarlet and Gray matchup? Uh, the, the better team won. And I don't know if that's a better team overall, but they were certainly the better team on this day. I mean, they just punched um scarlet and gray in the mouth early on never gave up i mean uh jared sullinger didn't have a very effective day and that's very understandable considering what he did getting married on friday or on saturday flying you know the red eye or the first flight the next day over on sunday and then um you know playing with no sleep evan ravenel kind of the same situation after being the best man in that wedding only played three minutes in the game so um certainly you understand why he didn't have his best game and uh it seemed like that just kind of permeated throughout the whole team i mean aaron Kraft was probably the mvp of the game david lighty had 16 but Kraft had a very tough defensive assignment um he always wanted to kind of go against jimmer Fredette and Fredette. Uh, you know, as well as Kraft played, Jimmer did kind of get the best of him. I mean, Jimmer still poured in, um, you know, 28 points in that game. So um, you needed, I think, with the circumstances that Scarlett and Gray was playing with, you needed Kraft to, like, lock down Jimmer, um, and which would have been, like, a heroic performance, something, like, unheard of, like, keeping Jimmer to, you know, you know 15, 10 points. Um, they couldn't ultimately do it. And then, like you said, Dan, Team Fred just got great role play from whether it be Rashad James, Brandon Davies, Cooley, Crawford, et cetera. And that kind of made the difference. So um, the cards were kind of stacked against Scarlett and Gray going into this game. And it looked like just a little bit too much to overcome. Yeah, Jimmer actually, I thought, played a, just a great game as a point guard. Every time he was double teamed, he found the open man. He was finding uh, Crawford in that right corner. It really was an impressive performance overall from Fredette. I can't imagine a scenario in which that team scores fewer than 85 points in a game. So if they're going to score, no matter who's defending them, then you obviously need to be able to score a lot of points yourself. Uh, and they're just very quick, you know, so it's hard to do that um, to match up with what they're doing offensively. So we'll see how they how they match up against the West Regional Champion, which turned out to obviously be Everline Drive. Uh, they advanced uh, after beating Ch- Team Challenge ALS. That game is going to be at 9 p.m., Eastern time on ESPN on Thursday night. So keep an eye out for that one. The uh, first game on Thursday night is going to feature the Northeast regional champion, the golden Eagles of Marquette against the South regional champion for the fourth year in a row overseas elite. Let's get to that uh, golden Eagles uh, Bayheim's army game first. Uh, this I think really just became the Travis Diener show at the end of that game. He took over during the Elam ending. He drained a 40 footer uh, as the shot clock expired, but really just an awesome performance, uh, Jake, to see from a guy at 36 years old with three kids at home, parents watching on the couch, and uh, he's out playing against the best players in the world and still getting it done. It's really miraculous when you kind of considering a how Travis Diener looks in the Big East pod, which I think Travis would tell you himself he was not good, but also kind of the situation that he was called into. A lot of fouls for the Golden Eagles in that game. Jamil Wilson fouls out during Elam ending time. Jerome McNeil fouls out during Elam ending time. And outside of Maurice Acker, they don't really have a lot of go-to scorers. And Diener really stepped up and, and took the game over. It kind of helped that he got a flow going at the beginning of the game and was able to you know, sort of find his rhythm in the first three quarters as opposed to during Elam ending time. But that sort of gave him the confidence to, to step up and take some shots that he wouldn't have previously taken. And he sort of played you know, a really good job as a secondary ball handler and facilitator. Uh, was tied for the team lead with six assists in that game, uh, as well as, as Jarrell McNeil. Uh, but that game doesn't happen without Jake Thomas, who played a grand total of two minutes and had maybe the biggest offensive rebound in his entire life. Uh, you know, going in, jumping up for that board and deciding not to shoot it, kicking it out to Diener, allowing him to reset the offense and hitting the, the game-winning shot uh, to send the Golden Eagles to the Final Four in Baltimore. And I'll, and I'll tell you what, I don't think any of us would have ever predicted this coming into TBT this year, as, as we looked at this Golden Eagles roster, I think we'll all sheepishly admit that we thought that this was probably their worst team in the three years that they've played in TBT. They're missing some of the firepower this year in Darius Johnson, Odom, Dwight Bikes, and Devontae Gardner, and even had the chance to add Devontae Gardner and Dwight Bikes for the Super 16 round, and, and they decided that we're happy with the core that we have, and uh, we think we have a legit shot. We all thought they were crazy. Turns out that Joe Chapman and uh, GM Dan Fitzgerald were right. So props to them for sticking to their guns and, and the squad that they have and, and making it much further than anyone could have possibly imagined. 
No doubt. And they have the chance to add Dwayne Wade for the semifinals, and it looks like they're going to pass that one up too. So they really like what they have. <laughs> they really like what they have there at the Golden Eagles. But we'll see uh, how they fare against the three-time defe- defending champions, Overseas Elite. Uh, they played on Sunday against the Ram Nation squad, as we previously discussed at the beginning. Uh, Overseas Elite, really, I thought this was another level um, that they brought it to, Josh, on Sunday afternoon. Well, it was what we were waiting for after they won a couple of games, but they didn't play their best, you know, their best game. Uh, Kyle Fogg was, I know, a guy we were really looking at. Um, and he didn't have a great day. He only went three for eight from the field, um, got a couple of his points from the free throw line, but he ended up with 13 overall. Burrell played great. Kennedy played great. Um, this is maybe the most balanced team we've ever had. I mean, it's not DJ and Fogg carrying the show. It's everyone's getting on the stat sheet. I mean, Jake and I, just kind of behind the scenes, we're talking about who do we bring to the press conference after the game. And we didn't even know who to bring because everyone had eight points, 10 points, eight points, 11 points. Everyone was kind of just bunched up in that eight to like 13 point range. And it's really a credit to to them and, and the kind of depth they have, the chemistry they have that, um, you know, all of the teams we're going to see in Baltimore have that one player who has really shined except overseas elite they're just such a such a balanced team anyone can do it on any given night and as we've seen with them everybody can do it on any given night it's in score in that eight to you know 13 point range so I thought Dan you're exactly right this is clearly the, the best game they've played in 2018 they needed it I think after that Louisiana United game they got that performance at just the right time and I know we'll make our predictions but I think that they're going to fare really well in Baltimore yeah overseas elite to me is just the ultimate Swiss army knife they basically as a team I think kind of mirror DJ Kennedy in that DJ is one of those guys that can really do almost anything on a court and can I think in, in certain occasions play all five positions and overseas elite no matter who you are and what your style of play is they can do it which is why I'm fascinated to see how they how they're going to progress. Um, certainly, you know, assuming that they were to win against Golden Eagles if they got a matchup against Fredette, I think their offense can actually match that. And so they're just amazing. You know, like they didn't play um, Will McDonald, the 20 year overseas veteran. They didn't play him one minute in that game. And I talked to him about it afterwards, and they said because he does not he's not going to close out on the on the three point shooter. And so if you look at who did play, they started Jandre Jefferson. Yeah. And I, th- I saw that and I was like, wow, Jandre hasn't played hardly at all. But sure enough, it worked. And so the, the team itself is just so versatile. Justin Burrell, for the vast majority of that game at 6'8", was playing the five for that team because Jandre ended up only playing 11 minutes in that in that uh, South Regional Championship game. Uh, DeAndre Kane only played 17. You know, I would be stunned if you told me DeAndre would not have played 30 minutes in that game. But nevertheless, like it, it just works out for them. And they seem to have another gear that they can switch it into. So, guys, let's talk briefly. Uh, well, not briefly, actually. Let's go into some detail now about the Thursday night matchup that they're going to have against the Golden Eagles. It seems to me like this is going to really be about whether or not uh, they can close out Jameel Wilson shooting these threes. I just got a stat uh, texted me this morning, but Jameel Wilson has attempted 47 threes through four, through four games so far. By way of comparison, Jimmer Fredette's attempted 29. So that's an amazingly high number of threes that they're relying on from Jameel Wilson. And clearly the whole team is going to be reliant on the threes because they're not the biggest team in the world. Maybe it helps that overseas elite is also not the biggest team in the world. But uh, Jake, your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, Jamil Wilson, 56 threes, has, has made 29 of them, shooting 52% from the uh, threes. Uh, the team as a whole, 51% from three. You look at Jerome McNeil, 20 of 38. Travis Diener now 14 of 30. Elgin Cook. Uh, 22 of 31. This is from the field, excuse me. 51% from the field as a whole, 43% from the field. Um, so this is a, a team that, you know, knows how to score the ball efficiently, can work you outside, can work you in. They like This is what they do. This is modern day basketball. They go five out. They try and get you to close out on them. Then they attack the lane. Uh, so they'll. I'm sure that Overseas Elite will hone in on Jamil Wilson and, and, again, try and utilize a lineup like you mentioned. They'll put John Drew Jefferson to the five, someone who's athletic and long and uh, agile enough to go out and try and attempt to block those shots or at least get a hand up in his face. Um, it's going to be tough for them to, you know, to really match that kind of, of style and go up against that. But at the same time, uh, and I've said this on every podcast, how can you pick against overseas elite and, and how do you go against them knowing that what they've already done, uh, you know, being as successful as they already have in the past at, at 23 and zero, going for, for 25 and 0. Um, you, you know, and they, I think they've sort of defied, 
the logic of what you've kind of seen from them in previous years. You look at that box score and no one really stands out to you. It seems like they've usually had guys where, you know, Kyle Fogg goes off for a big game. We haven't seen Kyle do that. DJ has played solid, but some games have not been overwhelming outside of the one game from, from Justin Burrell where he went 10 from 10. It doesn't seem like all those guys have been playing their top ball. And it'll be interesting to see if we kind of see them capture some of that energy and that, you know, takeover uh, aspects from, from yesteryear to really get this game, get this done. And I think we saw Kyle Fogg start to turn the corner a little bit this past weekend in Atlanta. Uh, they, they know they're going to need him this weekend in Baltimore, uh, as, as well as Eric McCollum. Eric McCollum will really have to take the reins of that offense. Uh, I think DJ Kennedy versus, um, versus Elgin Cook is going to be a matchup worth watching. Uh, a lot of guys that can do very similar things from a height perspective, from a physicality and ball handling perspective. Uh, Elgin is going to be a, a very tough matchup for DJ. And if anyone can sort of limit him from what we've seen him do in the past, I think it's going to be Elgin. Uh, at, at the same time, I'm not going to pick against overseas league given what they've done uh, and, and what they're going for. Their eyes on the prize. This could be a you know their final run, and I think they want to close things out the right way. Josh, you made a great observation about the three semifinalists that joined overseas elite in the round of eight, and only overseas elite made it through. Uh, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Because I thought that was a great point. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think it just speaks to the level of competition and how hard it is to win in TBT. I mean, um, you know, we we were talking, Dan, I think it was you and I were talking before the games tipped off on Sunday. And I think both of us were expecting a repeat Final Four of Overseas Elite, Bayheim's Army, um, you know, Scarlet and Gray and Challenge ALS. And what do you know, Overseas Elite wins the other three. Um, you know, they don't win. And we have, a you know, three of the four teams are new coming into Baltimore. So it speaks to, um, again, the culture they've created. Um, you know, the guys they have on that team, the intensity that they bring to every single game um, and just kind of everything that they've been, they kind of stand for as a team. So um, I think that might be even, you know, if you can make 23 and oh even more impressive, what I thought really made it impressive to me was seeing the other three teams lose and not be able to make it back to Baltimore. So um, I agree with everything that um, Jake said. I totally agree. I actually think, though, that Overseas Elite runs away with this game. I think it's going to kind of be similar to that Ram Nation game where, who you know, maybe the Golden Eagles make it a four or five-point game at some point in, you know, late in that game, but Overseas Elite ultimately takes control. I don't think they're going to be, you know, I, I just I think they run away with this game, Dan. I, I just think the matchup works for them. Golden Eagles don't have anyone over six eight. Where Louisiana United killed them was inside with their height and their athleticism down low for a lot of that game. Um, the Golden Eagles don't necessarily have that. I think overseas elite uh, kind of cakewalks into the championship game. Yeah, we'll see. I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk just because I don't, I don't think at this stage any team is incapable of beating another one. I think it just really is going to come down to, as it always does with um, three-point shooting teams, is whether or not they can actually hit them. And if they're hitting shots, then they're in it. If they're not, then it's going to be a it's going to be a short one for them. Um, one of the things I think, Josh, that when we think about uh, overseas elite is really impressive. And to, to even go further on that semifinalists uh, comment that you made, if you look back at all the other teams that have played in the semifinals over the three years that overseas elite has made it, the only other repeat team is city of gods. So in, from 2015 through 2017 overseas elites, the only team that has even reached the semifinals in consecutive years, other than city of gods, a team that they beat two years in a row. It's just incredible to me. And I think it's a little bit of hyperbole, but there's a lot of truth to it too. This is like legitimately one of the greatest teams in sports. You can only play who you're playing against and clearly against the level of competition that they're playing against. They're just unbeatable, you know, and it just is amazing to me in a single elimination event against the caliber of play and the caliber of talent that they're competing against that they're 23 and oh, I think that all of America should be tuning in to see this because it just is preposterous to me that that they've even been able to accomplish this. Again, that's going to be the 7 o'clock game. That's going to be the Golden Eagle alumni team from Marquette against Overseas Elite, 7 o'clock live on ESPN on Thursday, August 2nd. The second game that night is going to feature Team Fredette, the two-seed from the Midwest against the seven-seed Eberline Drive uh, from the West. Guys, I wanted to take a second just to kind of give some background on Eberline Drive because as, I'm, as I think about this over five years, it just is – incredible to me that this team is even still around never mind that they've actually made it to the semifinals so in 2014 this team started when jacob hirschman read zach lowe's piece in grantland about tbt and he and two of his next door neighbors and best friends from everline drive which is a cul-de-sac in fraser michigan a suburb of detroit i uh, got the oster's dad craig and joey oster got mr oster to drive a van 
10 and a half hours to Philadelphia so that they could play. They tried recruiting the best team that they could. All but two of the guys that they recruited were no-shows. So the Osters and Hirschman had to suit up. I said this in a previous podcast, but it was such a mismatch that Hirschman got dunked on so bad that he ended up getting carted off the court. Luke Wynn from Sports Illustrated profiled him and called them the worst team in TBT. Now, that same year, Matt Mitchell organized uh, a team of Olivet Nazarene, an NAIA school where he had played uh, college basketball, organized an alumni team. So now we have both the participatory fan-type scenario and the alumni team. So Mitchell organizes the alumni team. They play in the first-ever TBT game at like 8.30 in the morning on Saturday, June 6th, or Friday, June 6th, I should say, uh, of 2014. His wife, Lindsay, was the first fan to ever show up along with his mom. Uh, Lindsay ended up being the top fan that year, presented the check to the Notre Dame Fighting Alumni, which ultimately won in 2014. It was just that those two things alone are incredible. In 2015, Hirschman and Mitchell joined forces. And as they joined forces, they realized that Mitchell's got a pretty good inroad into some, into some basketball players. Hirschman is, is dogging his determination to be successful in TBT. They joined forces under the name Eberline Drive, and they connect online. And then from that point, uh, it's really an amazing circumstance because we had a, pro, a, a prize that year, basically a sponsorship from DraftKings associated with uh, whoever could win a fantasy da- a daily fantasy contest that DraftKings was winning. Um, uh, <laughs> Hirschman and Mitchell get all of their friends to enter this contest. The team ultimately gets the sponsorship from DraftKings, and it really launches them into a new level. They got Vaughn Wafer to play that year, Liam McMorrow. And several others. Tyler Laser is another name. But nevertheless, uh, the team loses in the first round again. So in 2016, uh, they didn't qualify through outright in the voting. I think they were very focused on the team building. We didn't give them an at-large bid. They didn't leave it at that. There was a contest that we did that year that involved raising money for Big Brothers Big Sisters uh, along with GoFundMe. Uh, the uh, team was able to raise over $8,000, which was by far the most money that anybody raised for that uh, cause of the Big Brothers Big Sisters. They ended up getting entry through that charity slot. The team improves again. This time they've got Ronaldo Balkman, two of the Millsap brothers, and Justin Dentman, all guys with NBA experience. But they get matched up against Jason White Chocolate Williams and Mike Bibby of Pedro's Posse. Pedro's Posse, unfortunately, for Everline Drive, cruises to the victory, and they'll go out in round one again. In 2017, they link up with Michael Rappaport, who's a huge TPT fan and a basketball aficionado. They link up with Rappaport. The team rebrands temporarily as the Stickmen. Uh, they also that year kind of fatefully link up with David Nurse. David Nurse is a basketball trainer, trains guys from all over the world at the highest of levels. And the team takes another leap up in terms of quality. And this time they bring in Lou Amundsen, who had just come off of the NBA uh, career. In fact, I think he had played in the NBA in 2017 with the Knicks. In any event, the team improves to a point where they actually defeat. They get a three seed. They defeat the Air Force uh, bomb squad and they win their first game ever. But still, that name, Eberline Drive, has not advanced on a TBT bracket. They did advance as the Stickmen, however. Uh, In the second round that year, they lose to Team Challenge ALS uh, going away. 2018 guys now, they come back as Everline Drive, and now here they are on the cusp of actually winning TBT five years later, one of only five original teams that have played in TBT all five years. I'm just amazed that this team, like I said, is even still playing in TBT. The fact that they're now on the cusp of potentially winning the event with a roster that is as good as any team that has competed in TBT this year uh, is really just astounding. And I think an inspiration to anybody that has a dream and people that are on the outside looking in. Um, that was a big rant by me, guys, probably the longest that I've ever done in TBT, but it's just astounding to me. Um, and Josh, if you've got any thoughts, I'd love to hear what you have to say about these guys. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, like you said, anyone who has a dream, uh, who, you know, they've been told no, we've denied them, like you said, by not giving them the at-large bid one year. Um, and they still just kind of stuck to it. They, they kept chipping away. They, they got, you know, one guy with a connection to another guy. And the next year that led a connection to another guy. And all of a sudden they have guys who have, you know, won NBA slam dunk contests and played multiple years in the league. And, um, I know talking to Jacob Hirschman, he kind of looks at it where um, Matt Mitchell's kind of like the prime minister and he's the king now. He's more of just a figurehead who just kind of shows up to the games, a kid from Eberline Drive kind of representing the team. But he said multiple times that it's all Matt Mitchell's hard work. He works year round recruiting these guys, making connections with guys who can connect him with other guys who might have a connection with an NBA guy. You know, he goes, you know, Matt Mitchell goes 
three to four levels of separation away to try to recruit people for TBT every single year. It's kind of like a, a second job for him year round. And they've been able to chip away, like you said, Dan, put together a really good roster. And, um, you know, not to go, I don't want to go on a rant either, but I, I think you hit the, the nail on the head just I think it's what TBT is kind of all about in a way um, that, you know, a kid from, you know, from kind of a no name town in, in Michigan was able to put this together. And I think it's still crazy for him to this day that guys like Jeremy Evans and Donald Sloan and Jerome Randall are wearing a Jersey that says Everline drive, which is a street that no one has heard of before TBT. So um, really inspiring to see. And um you know, just a, a great story heading into Baltimore. Jake, you and Josh actually have both been in the role that, that Jake Hirschman found himself in trying to create this team and trying to build these things out. So I think you can speak to the difficulty of this, not only trying to do it one year, but to come back for five years in a row is really a, a, is really a credit to these guys. I think the, the one thing that stands out is, is sort of the, the tenacity and the ability to kind of look past on the losing uh, to continue to try and furnish the stream to get to, you know, the promised land of winning the TBT title, uh, you know, my first year, we went to the super 16. The second year you spend all year trying to work to, you know, bring this team together. You're getting the votes. You're trying to get the guys. And we showed up with six. We're missing guys with injuries with summer league. Flip Murray played with like six stitches in his hand. I mean, we, we were a mess. And, and I think I was so demoralized after all that. I said, how can I possibly put in six months of work to try and put this team together uh, you know, they lose sleep trying to get over these votes, checking the leaderboards, making sure we're getting in and losing the first round. And I believe he did that three times, you know, maybe four times they've lost in the first round without getting any success. The fact that he was able to put that aside, you know, all the losing, all the issues showing up with missing guys that were supposed to be key pieces for them from the start all the way up until this year. I mean, they're missing guys last weekend, you know, the Sunday game to send them to Baltimore. They're missing James Michael McAdoo and Donald Sloan to persevere through all the issues that they've had over the, the past handful of years, the highs, the lows, the mostly lows, 95% lows uh, to get to this point is truly phenomenal and is, is worthy of applaud, especially applause, uh, especially knowing, you know, how difficult it is not only get to this point, but just, you know, the year round process of putting these teams together and updating them and maintaining them and making sure you have a competitive roster. Uh, it's, you know, you've said this a lot, Dan, being a TBT GM is, is sometimes harder than being an NBA GM. And the fact that he's been willing to put himself through this for five years uh, is truly commendable. Yeah, great work by both of those guys. Obviously, David Nurse is a great addition for them as well in in that he's got just an incredible amount of connections within the game. Uh, but they're playing Team Fredette. And so, as I said before, Team Fredette, uh, Josh, in my mind, is just an offensive juggernaut. What I'm really interested to see is, does the length and the size that uh, Eberline Drive has brought in help them in that game against uh, for debt, or are they just not going to be able to compete uh, on the offensive end? I, Randall on, on his own is a tremendous offensive force. I think Osiris can, our leaders can be very, very good. And obviously Taylor Braun is a great shooter. Do they have the offensive firepower in your mind, Josh, to compete uh, with Team Fredette? Uh, to be honest, I really shouldn't be talking about this game because I said Jimmer wasn't going to do anything in TBT, and I said <laughs> I've picked against Everline Drive every single game. So I, I'm, I, I don't think I should get too into it because I've been dead wrong about both of these teams. But – um, I think they do. I, I think Everline jo- Drive is a legit shot. They're going to be the underdog heading into the game, no doubt about it, because of how good Jimmer has been. I think especially if Fredette makes it to the championship game, Jimmer is a lock to be our TBT MVP, no matter how that championship game goes um, either way. So, um, you know, they're going to be fighting it a little bit offensively. Um but when you look at Jerome Randall, uh, you look at Jeremy Evans, who can score the basketball. Um, if they get McAdoo and Sloan back, that's two huge additions on the offensive end. Um, I, I think they have a fighting shot, which which we, we which we've kind of seen with Eberline. That's all they've really needed in TBT was a fighting shot, even though when they've been the underdog. So um, I, I think they're better than the seven seed. They are um, in terms. I'm talking about Eberline Drive. I think that offensively again I think that chemistry is still going to be a little bit of a challenge um going against the Fredette team who I think is maybe one of the best coached teams we've ever had in TBT with Mike Taylor he coaches in Germany the second division in Germany he's involved with the Polish national team he's coaching in TBT he actually has to fly back out to Germany the day after the championship to begin a season in Germany um so I think they're one of the best coach teams we've ever had so it's going to be tough for Everline Drive but I think especially if they get some of those guys back, they certainly have a fighting shot. 
Yeah, and the word that I got was that Sloan is definitely back. He's actually on a plane, even as we're recording this. And the expectation is with McAdoo that that knee, uh, which apparently was bothering him on Sunday, will be healed in time for him to uh, make that appearance on Thursday night. All right, guys, I'm really reluctant to do this, so I'm not going to say anything other than I think Overseas Elite is probably going to win TBT again. I just have a feeling <laughs> this is a an unstoppable force. Um, but Jake, let's get your predictions on the other two matchups on Thursday night. I'm going to take Overseas Elite just because I picked them as my champion. Uh, I'm not in the business of picking against a team that's never lost in TBC, and I'm not going to start now. I've, I've kind of reiterated that throughout the season. Uh, so I'm going to go with Overseas Elite. And I think I, I'm going to take Team for Debt. And that's probably a good omen for Everline Drive, considering that I've doubted them throughout the process like Josh has, and they've, con- they've uh, continued to prove me wrong. But, you know, I'm not sure who's more of a, a team of destiny, a, a team that's gone from worst in 2014 to potentially best in 2018 or, or Jimmer Fredette, you know, getting himself back on the, you know, the NBA, uh, you know, sphere, uh, you know, put, putting together a team that is, you know, not only fantastic to watch, but, you know, a, a truly dominant offensive force and maybe one of the best that we've seen uh, in TBT. I, I just think at the end of the day, the guard play and the offensive firepower uh, from Team for Dead is just going to stand to be too much for Everline Drive, despite the fact that they do have some good guards on their own. I haven't seen one person shut down Jimmer for Dead, and I don't think that overseas or excuse me, Everline Drive really does have someone on that team that can do it. I know they're planning on trying to put Osiris Eldridge on him. Osiris is a bit of a, a bigger, thicker body who you know can be physical with Jimmer, but at the same time, he shows so shifty and so crafty. Uh, it's going to make things difficult for anyone covering him. I imagine he's going to be good for 30-plus like he's been in every game. You sprinkle in Ledbetter and Jordan Crawford on the wings. You have Jack Cooley and Brandon Davies inside. I mean, they have, from top to bottom, they have all the pieces you need to win a TBT title. Uh, I think they do beat Everline Drive, but, um, you know, I believe that that Bayheim's Army-Golden Eagles game was probably our best game of TBT. I wouldn't be surprised if that Everline Drive surpasses that. Josh, what do you think? Just on Thursday, I have um... – Overseas elite, like I said, I think uh, cakewalk is too strong of the word. I think they they handle the Golden Eagles with relative ease. Uh, I don't think it, it gets really within four or five points, and I think it's going to even feel like more than that. Um, and I do have Team Fredette as well. Um, and that's some of that simply because I know Jacob Hirschman wants me to continue picking against Eberline, so I'm going to um, fulfill his wish, and partly because I do think for that, that chemistry they have, they're very well coached, as is Eberline, but they're very well coached. Um, and I, Jimmer just seems like an, an unstoppable force at this point. Yeah, nothing's going to surprise me. I honestly can't pick that that Thursday night game. I don't know who's going to win that one at all. I just have a, f- a somewhat stronger feeling about Overseas Elite only because of 23 previous games of experience. So, you know, we'll see what happens. It was 7 o'clock and 9 o'clock live on ESPN on Thursday night. Friday is going to be the championship game for $2 million. Somebody is going to hit a shot for $2 million with the Elam ending on Friday night live on ESPN at 9 p.m., is the tip that's going to be unbelievable TV. It's going to be must watch TV. If you're a sports fan in a sports bar, someplace around the country, if you're traveling in an airport, anywhere you go, that game is going to be on TV and it's going to be seen around the world on watch ESPN, as well as the ESPN family of networks. Guys, it's really been a great TBT so far. Let's try to touch base uh, maybe after the tournament finishes and we'll do a recap of everything that we saw, what we loved, what we didn't love and everything like that. Sound good? Cool. Looking forward to it. All right, guys. Remember to tune in Thursday night, 7 o'clock, 9 o'clock, ESPN, and Friday night, 9 p.m. live on ESPN. Thanks again, guys, and we'll talk again soon.